Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello listeners. Welcome back to this episode of Luke's English podcast. This is part 2 of a fairly long rant that I recorded today about the Brexit situation and England's awful performance in the football yesterday. You should know that there might be some strong language and swearing uh, in this episode. There will also be lots of fairly strong political points of view from me. Please listen to the whole thing and try to avoid knee-jerk reactions. If you disagree with me at any point, then please feel free to leave a comment on the website because I am open to other points of view, but I do encourage you to fully flesh out your opinion. Don't just give your knee-jerk reaction without backing it up with some evidence or justification. I say that because I'm aware that in this episode I sort of gives quite a lot of personal uh, points of view and it's fairly opinionated stuff. I don't want you to feel like I'm preaching at you. And I'm always interested to hear what your opinion is on these sorts of things. In fact, leaving comments on my website can be a pretty good way to put a lot of your thoughts and things into words, you know, like put it down in, in the form of sentences. There's a few conversations going on on the in the comments section of recent episodes of this podcast. Um by the way, this episode is sponsored by Audible. Uh they're the people who produce and sell audiobooks um on the internet and they've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of titles to choose from. Because you're a listener to this podcast, you can benefit from the download of a free audiobook from Audible and you can just choose whichever one you want. That's part of a 30-day trial. uh membership with the company. I use Audible. I listen to lots of audiobooks. Um so if you want to check it out and download a free audiobook, just go to teacherluke.co.uk/audible to get started. I still also have my sponsorship with iTalki going on. I just haven't mentioned them for a while. I thought I'd uh talk to you about Audible instead. Um but anyway, you can visit both of my sponsors by going to the website and just clicking either the Audible logo or the iTalki logo that you'll find there. Right. So let's get back into uh this episode then. Uh because this is part 2 of a two-parter. So um when the last episode ended, I was talking about the promises made by the Leave campaign. I was going through a list of promises um that they'd made which frankly they're not going to deliver or um they seem not to be intent on delivering now. Um just to just to remind you the whole thing I'm talking about here is the Brexit situation. I'm still talking about it. Still talking about politics. This is not going to last forever. uh but i have to get all this stuff off my chest so um anyway i was talking about the leave campaign and the promises that they're not going to deliver and i was in the middle of going through a list of those promises this list is based on an article published by the indie 100 website and you can find a link to that page or on the on the page for this episode um and uh, i think where we left off with the last episode i think i just told nigel farage to go home or something like that 
But anyway, we're now on to point three. So, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Luke's English podcast. You can't touch this. This is a masterpiece of the English language. All righty then. Just think of the accolades it's received over the years. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. This is going to be good. Really? Yes. I want to get into it, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Luke's English podcast. And this is Britain at its best. Oh, you lucky people. Nigel, what what are you still doing here, Nigel? You got what you wanted. Your party is no longer necessary. Now go away. Point three, we aren't going to be able to stay in the single market. We aren't. They promised that that, uh, um, that we would be able to stay in the single market. We'd be able to pull out of Europe and yet somehow still keep all the advantages of, of, the, of the free trade agreement of the single market. Uh, but no other country has a setup like that. Both France and Germany have made it abundantly clear that we are not going to be able to have our cake and eat it. Meaning we won't be able to take advantage of the free trade zone without contributing a single penny to it, as Leave says we will. So the fact is, if we still want to trade with Europe, we're still going to have to comply with the laws of the free trade zone, and we're still going to have to accept free movement of people, and we're still going to have to make a contribution to the EU budget. Okay, Those are the conditions of trading in the free market. Now, we all knew that in the first place. This is what we've all been saying but for some reason, that information just didn't go into people's heads because they were too they were too uh, seduced by the uh, you know the the misinformation that is obvious now from the Leave campaign. Point four, another point here is they said that we would get our sovereignty back, and it's not true. We're not going to get our sovereignty back. Now, first of all, it looks like we're going to get a new prime minister by the end of the autumn. Um, Uh, when the Conservative Party conference happens. We'll have a new Prime Minister. It looks like it's going to be a short list of two or three people nominated by MPs. So this leader will be unelected by by the people. Uh, this, This new leader is going to be chosen by the Conservative Party. And that leader could then theoretically hold office unopposed until a general election has to be called in three years' time. So what this means is that uh, as a result of this, we're probably going to get a leader who's not elected by the people. We'll have an unelected leader. Doesn't sound very democratic, does it? It doesn't. This whole thing was supposed to be an exercise in bringing, in taking back democracy. But it seems actually the opposite has happened. Also, we still have the House of Lords. So there's that. So in fact, we have a less democratic arrangement than we had before. So Operation Democracy was a bit of a failure, wasn't it? Point number six, we, uh, uh, another, another promise was that we would remain a world leader in research and development. Okay, uh, not true. UK, UK investment in science and universities has dried up since the recession. What that means is that the UK government stopped spending money on science and universities. They stopped spending money on scientific research. Where's that money come from? It, it has come from the EU. The EU gave us £7 billion in science funding alone between 2007 and 2013. 
Okay, all of that money that that has paid for really important and really brilliant scientific research projects uh, is going to be lost. So what's going to happen is is the UK government going to going to pay for that? Because their whole policy is that they don't pay for these sorts of things. Uh, their whole policy is one of austerity, which is where they don't spend money in order to try and balance the deficit. So, no, I don't think so. We're also going to face new barriers to collaboration with uni- European universities and research centres. And this was key. You know, we were a serious player in European scientific research centres. For example, we had the European Space Project. But I suppose that it's going to be difficult to, to be involved in that, right? I'm sure that something could be arranged. I'm sure that they're going to... That, that, that something will be fixed, but it's going to take a long time to fix it. Um, we were promised that we would save money on energy bills, but that's not true. Um, the Leave campaign promised that we could end uh, VAT, that's value-added tax, on household energy bills. Now, while that is possible, it won't save us any money in reality because we rely on imports for so much of our energy. So much of our energy is imported from the continent. Now, because the pound has fallen, um, inflation is going to go up, which means that imports and therefore our domestic energy bills will go up. They're going to cost up to 12% more than they currently do because the value of our currency has dropped so much. So if we need to buy uh, electricity from France um, with our British pounds, it's suddenly going to become more expensive overnight. Um, and point eight, they said that we're going to make Britain great again. Not true. We aren't, we're not going to be a greater Britain, certainly not in the short to medium term. Overnight, the UK economy has already slumped from the fifth largest in the world to the sixth. It happened in one fell swoop overnight. More than £200 billion has already been wiped from the value of the UK stock market. Or uh, to put it another way, uh, 24 years worth of UK contributions to the EU. That's according to uh, uh, that's according to this Indy uh, 500 article. Um, I calculate. I I got the figure of 120 billion, uh, which is 15 years worth of, of contributions. Either way, it's a massive amount. So overnight, the we've lost more money than we contributed to the EU in either 15 or 24 years. We became less democratic. We lost access to the single market. And whatever arrangement we will have in the future is bound to involve more low-skilled labour being imported from abroad. Oh, and by the way, the other point, which was subtly made, but rarely explicitly stated, that Brexit would help us limit the influence of radical Islam on UK culture. Well, there's no indication that this will happen either. Pretty much all the arguments made by the people who argued for Remain are coming true. Now, the Remain campaign were labelled as Project Fear because of the bleak projections and predictions that they made in the run-up to the vote. Okay, People said, you're just using fear as a, as, a, as a campaign strategy. Now it's becoming pretty clear that this, in fact, was Project Reality because all of these things are coming true. Anyone who's now slapping themselves on the back and saying, well done, we took back our country, must be a bit delusional. The country is in crisis, basically. We have no idea how we can manage this situation going forwards. How on earth can we bring our economy back to the stable position it was in before this referendum? How are we going to replace the business that we face to lose from suddenly being cut off from 50% of our market? 
sure, we can start to renegotiate or negotiate trade deals with other countries, but how long is that realistically going to take? And could it be possible for us to achieve a deal that's anywhere near as good as the one that we had with the EU? People talk about Britain taking back... uh, Uh, People talk about taking Britain back to the position it was in before it joined the European Union. But in 1973, it was obvious uh, to be part of the Union. It was an obvious move. Our influence on the world stage at that point had shrunk so much since the war that joining the European club was definitely the right choice. Since then, our country has enjoyed a stable and beneficial relationship with our neighbours in which we've traded goods and acted as a great investment opportunity for foreign companies wishing to get access to the EU, the biggest marketplace in the world. Now we are shut out from that, left with not much more than our national pride. The idea that the UK was suffocated by legislation from Brussels wasn't really true, in my opinion. It was, at worst, annoying and frustrating for business owners. But nobody mentions the benefits of the union to our economy, namely that it kept the entire thing stable, safe and fair. I have often heard these statements like the the European Union stifled Britain with, um, with, with unnecessary laws. And I often ask people to name those laws and they can't really. What they usually do is name laws about bent bananas or about regulation of pillowcases and things like that. Now, those arguments aren't really valid because those arguments um, just show really that these are just arguments of of laws that are uh, sort of a bit pedantic, but they're not really reducing our freedoms they're just a bit silly and i mean if you look at any uh statutes or if you look at the book of laws for any country you'll always manage to find ones that seem to be a bit over the top or a bit specific or a bit silly i mean for example there's i mean there's classic examples of uh uh, laws that apply to taxi drivers in london if you look at the, the, the law books that apply to uh taxi drivers you, you'll see lots of silly laws in there that don't really apply anymore um so now we have to build the whole arrangement up again hopefully to a level that's equal to what we had before and hopefully better and we have to do it in less than favorable conditions our prime minister has resigned and he'll be replaced in october finding a new leader is going to take time and effort a lot of us uh, a lot of time will be spent on this a new government will have to be constructed we might even have to have another general election while this is all happening we won't be making trade deals and negotiating our exit strategy from the eu because we won't have a plan scotland will be pushing for a referendum Referendum again, and they'll, if they get it, they'll probably leave. We'll then have to negotiate the terms of that as well, which will also be a huge undertaking. Um, not to mention Northern Ireland. Um, Northern Ireland, who also voted to remain, that's going to put the whole peace process in question in Northern Ireland. Uh, the opposition party, Labour, is currently splitting up with the uh, members of the shadow cabinet quitting in protest at the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn, uh, as I mentioned. Meanwhile, the the European Union is pressing the UK to get out of the Union as soon as possible. The EU 
uh, want to make an example of the UK and they want to to make sure that no other countries in the union try to uh, get uh, try to do a similar thing. So they're going to have to come down pretty heavily on the UK. Um, we don't have much time to organise our strategy for getting out of the EU uh, while negotiating some kind of new trade deal with the EU or other countries that will prevent uh, many businesses from losing their customers. Um, frankly, that deal just can't be as good as the one we had before. And it can't really realistically arrive before many businesses start losing money and start moving their operations to other places. Uh, Movement of people, there's absolutely no guarantee that we'll be able to control migration, as we all knew in the first place. Project Fear is now becoming Project Reality. One question that I've been asked on the website um, by Lepsters is, why did so many old people vote to leave? Um, Now, I think this is because of nostalgia and because the EU has less value to old people. Uh, So, first of all, about the value, the European Union is not really a viable place to live and work if you're retired. You know, young people see the European Union as a place of opportunity. It's a place where you can go and work, you can move around uh, without any obstacles, okay? And that's that's a great sort of uh, plus point for young voters. But older people, that's less attractive to them because obviously now that they're retired moving and working in in on the continent is not really something that's attractive to them so first of all value there's less value for them there and the other thing uh, was the nostalgia older people knew what life was like before the european union this is back in the 60s 50s 60s early 70s um, and to an extent it was a golden age you know, especially the 1960s. This is the baby boom generation who um, who really had it better than anyone. I mean, they're the luckiest generation, the golden gen. No, not the golden generation. That was a uh, that was a, that was that's relating to an American generation. Anyway, the baby boomers had really sort of the the, the best of it of it all. They got all of the. Uh, the prosperity and positivity coming out of the war, all the benefits of the welfare system that was built in the UK after World War II, um, and just a sort of explosion of positivity and and uh, and 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 joy and uh, so much creativity and so many of the benefits basically. Um, and if you think about it, these people now look about look back on the pre-EU period with all of the nostalgia of their youth. A vote for leave was basically a vote for nostalgia. Young people are very angry with the older generation who just essentially selfishly put us all in a really crappy position. Not all older people voted out, of course. My parents uh, didn't vote out. My dad is understandably livid about the situation. You know what he felt about it. You listened to me talking to him a few weeks ago. Apparently, my parents both spent the weekend kicking the furniture and swearing. And I think they're still doing it, to be honest. So now we have to uh, stay positive and try to make this work. Um, I do believe in my country, of course. The UK has always been an inventive and dynamic place. I'm sure that we'll rise to the challenges that the future faces. It will take time for us to get ourselves back into the position that we were in before. We'll have to work hard and get back to normal. Um, I say we, I don't know if I personally will be part of this directly because I live here in France. It's not clear, in fact, what's going to happen to my status as a British expat living in France. It's also not clear what's going to happen to all of the EU citizens who have to live life in the UK. Again, we just don't know that word again, turmoil. Now, maybe this turmoil was inevitable. 
There's another point. Maybe a certain level of chaos and crisis was always going to happen one way or another. Okay, so maybe this was all inevitable. After all, since the economic crisis, we've had years of a conservative Tory government punishing the ordinary taxpayers with austerity measures. This could be responsible uh, for the general sense of dissatisfaction that people are experiencing, which led them to vote leave as a protest against the status quo. Why are so many sort of lower class people so um, unhappy with the status quo and the establishment? Maybe it's because of the austerity measures that have been imposed by the Conservatives over the last five or six years, or more, in fact, more. Uh, when our banks, for example, like, for example, all of the banks in the EU nations, when those banks lost so much money in the financial crisis, the government's response was first to bail out the banks, take money from the national bank, uh, like tax revenue, taxpayers' money, and use it to pay off all the banking debts, bringing their balance sheets back to normal so that they could continue trading, effectively keeping the whole economy stable by using uh, public money, taxpayers' money. Right now, I know that this is a this is a, a policy that's been going on not just in the UK but across the European Union, um, and um, it makes ordinary people feel disenfranchised, and certainly has happened in the UK. Now, when this happened, the government effectively took public money from ordinary taxpayers and injected it into the private sector by giving it to private banks. They took public money and they made it private. Okay, the bankers screwed up. Um, and we all paid for it. But it wasn't over uh, because the UK still owed billions of pounds to creditors. The, the UK still had a big budget deficit. So the country had borrowed a lot of money and they needed to pay it back. So how were they going to do it? First of all, the plan was to help the banking sector by giving them lots of our money and by reducing controls on, on the financial system, uh, on their investments, on hedge funds and their different activities, for example, by imposing less tax on them to help stimulate business, okay, in order to stimulate the economy, all right? That was plan one. Plan two, cut public spending. So spend less on public services. And we've talked about the National Health Service um, and, and other things like that. So basically, let the rich get richer and make the poor pay for it by reducing the money the government spends on services like healthcare and other forms of welfare. What happens is that rich people get richer and all the trouble and pain of the economic crisis is transferred onto the lives of the poor and the lower class people who had nothing to do with the crisis in the first place. The, 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 the model is, is the, the, the trickle-down effect the thinking is that by stimulating the economy and allowing the private sector to, to, to grow, that, that that pushes more money into the economy in general, which stimulates and, and creates jobs. And the money comes magically trickling down like a magical waterfall into the pockets of everyone in society. But in reality, it seems that it just benefits the 1% and everyone else is struggling and there's like a, a, a large portion of society who feel totally disenfranchised and totally um, abandoned. Um, you know, they have their services reduced, there's less money to support them, and they're told to just do it yourself, basically. They're, they're basically told, just do it yourself, be uh, enterprising, work hard, and you'll be rewarded. Just do it yourself. Good luck. Um, generally, it feels like the government just doesn't give a toss about these people. That's what it seems like. 
At the same time, they're experiencing the direct result of rising levels of immigration in their towns. And without proper community programs to make sure this happens smoothly, there's loads of conflict and tribalism in many poor areas. A lot of people feel like their government doesn't care about them and that their culture is under threat. So then we have the Eurosceptics like Nigel Farage. In fact, particularly Nigel Farage, who comes along and decides to speak on behalf of these people who he describes as ordinary, good, decent people. That's one of the words that he used uh, immediately after um, the, the, the vote came in. He said, this is a victory for decent people. And it's a word that he's been using throughout his campaign, decent people. Now, immediately there, with that word decent, you see some rhetoric. So if you, I mean, what does this mean? This is a victory for decent people. So if you don't agree with Nigel Farage, if you wrote, voted Remain, you're not a decent person. I understand that he's done that because he's standing up for alienated people and he's, call, he's calling them decent people to give them a, self, a sense of respect. But he has to accept that using that sort of language will, as a result, will breed hatred and intolerance to people with differing views. Nobody else is using language like that. Decent people. Decent, what does that actually mean? Decent means socially acceptable, good, morally good, clean, okay? So if you're not a decent person, essentially you are socially unacceptable, bad, immoral, and dirty. Now, so by saying that a vote for leave is a vote for decent people, he's essentially saying that if you vote remain, uh, you're not a decent person, you're not socially acceptable, you're not good, you're not morally good, and you're not even clean either. Now, he didn't state that explicitly, but there is an implicit level of prejudice in his rhetoric, which is extremely seductive to those who see foreigners as the main problem in society. And this is dangerous, frankly. Nigel Farage goes around speaking directly to the experiences of the people affected by the government's austerity measures. He points the finger not at the government's plans, not at big business, not at the banking system. He points his finger... Um, at the European Union, okay? Um, he, he says that it's the EU which is strangling the UK's sovereignty. It's the EU which is killing British culture, and it's the EU uh, that is the reason why there are so many new faces in your area. And it's the EU that's causing your sense of dissatisfaction. Then add, in, add the media into the mix. The Sun newspaper, the Daily Mail, the Daily Express... Um, these are newspapers that are all read by many, many, many people all across the country. Day in, day out, those newspapers uh, have been focusing on what they call tidal waves of immigration. Even when the USA, I mean, they, they, they push this story uh, all the time. Even when there are bigger stories going on, they still maintain this 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 line. For example, even when the USA experienced the worst public shooting in its history recently in Orlando, uh, the, the Daily Express chose to lead the front page of their newspaper with an exaggerated story about immigration. Um, now, these, these papers, and, and that story was not related to the Orlando shooting at all. Just to, just They decided to ignore the, the Orlando shooting and just continue banging on about uh, the waves of immigration. Uh, now, these papers make it their business to shock uh, and to, to speak to people's emotions. They trade in anger, resentment, fear and titillation. Just look at the Daily Mail's website, okay? 
Have a look at the Daily Mail's website. It's a staggering mix of outrage, fear, and lust, okay? Because you see knee-jerk stories presented in block capitals while the while the sidebar of every single page shows half-naked celebrities caught on camera showing off their bodies. And it's a dizzying mix of emotions and sensations, okay? It is. It's like a, a whirlwind of hatred and injustice and terror and fear and lust. It's a seductive and insidious combination. Uh, so Farage, the Leave campaign and the right-wing media continue to peddle this kind of stuff on the British public day in, day out, week after week after week. And it, it's ultimately what, what this is, is a, another kind of Trumpism. It's like British Trumpism. It's like the Donald Trump effect. And and by when I say that, I don't mean that he's the cause of it. I'm just saying that it's a similar kind of trend, which is basically that angry lower class people who've been the victims of the economic crisis um, are expressing their discontentment by supporting candidates who they perceive are supporting them, speaking the truth, not part of the established political system and not afraid to say controversial things. So these people support those candidates and it's a deception. Ultimately, the result is not what they wanted. Immediately, the big promises are not delivered. Everybody remembers that Farage is a member of the political establishment uh, too. He went to a public school uh, like the other members of the government. He's a man of big business and high finance. Farage has always been sort of pre- presenting himself as the the voice, the sort of anti-establishment voice that, that a vote for leave was somehow a vote against the status quo. Um, but in fact, as I mentioned earlier, the Leave campaign all are part of the status quo and Nigel Farage is no exception. Then the result comes in that the Leave campaign has won and even the prominent campaigners seem stunned. They're all backtracking on what they promised and failing to convert the rhetoric into solid plans for the future. It's almost as if they didn't believe they would win it. Boris Johnson's first speech after winning, was disturbing, frankly. He seemed almost ashamed and worried. He looked like a guilty schoolboy. It didn't look like someone who'd just won a huge victory that he'd been campaigning for. He seemed subdued and uh, like a guilty schoolboy. The Prime Minister had just resigned, and then it dawned on Boris that he might actually have to be the one to lead Britain through this mess. Not an enviable job. Suddenly, the position of Prime Minister, I imagine, seems far less attractive. Perhaps Boris had that sick feeling in the pit of his stomach, like the rest of us on that day. This was a mistake, and it was wrong to use this as a platform for self-promotion. Now, I know what a lot of people are saying. They're saying to me, it's democracy. You can't argue with the referendum result. It's democracy in action. Or uh, something else like, you wouldn't be complaining if it had been a Remain result. And frankly, no, I wouldn't complain with a Remain result because I think that's the right answer. And I can argue with the outcome of the referendum, okay? That's my right. Just because this result happened as part of a democratic process doesn't mean it's necessarily the right outcome. Don't put democracy on a pedestal. Saying that democracy is this untouchable, perfect process um, is not necessarily the right uh, pragmatic approach. Referendums, in particular, have been used many, many times before 
to justify some pretty terrible things. And in fact, they can be undemocratic. They can be very undemocratic. The problem with a referendum is that the result can be manipulated via propaganda or misdirection. You know, like, and the result of a referendum gives tremendous legitimacy to the government to make certain big decisions. Hitler, for example, Adolf Hitler was a big fan of referendums. He managed to use them quite effectively in the run-up to World War II. So referendums are not a guarantee for the right result, and they're not also a cast-iron guarantee for 100% pure, transparent democracy in action. Now, I don't want to be all negative and depressing about this. As I said before, I have faith in the UK to find a way through this, but I can't hide that I'm really angry about it, and I think I'm well within my rights to express that. I don't have to just shut up and and accept things. In fact, as we've seen from the past, shutting up and accepting things is often completely the wrong thing to do. Also, I'm aware that this Brexit result might just be a symptom of larger forces at work. I got an email from a regular Lepster the other day who made a very good point about climate change. In fact, climate has to be the biggest factor in all of this. It it could well be the biggest factor here. There may be huge um, sort of geological, meteorological um, factors that are way beyond our control now that could be the result of all of this. As well as the macroeconomic factors, there could be all sorts of other things like, for example, climate. Essentially, the world is going to change a lot. Oh, and by the way, what I'm talking about here is climate change, which is a generally uh, agreed truth. Like most of the scientific communities, like the vast majority of scientists agree that the climate is changing in a, in, in a way that is not going to be good for people and that this is the result of, 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 of us. It's a result of the emissions that we've been, we've been putting out into the world. It's a result of the way that we've been acting on Earth. It's accelerating the, the, the heating up of the planet. And, I mean, you know, it, it's evident, isn't it? We can see that the weather has been behaving extremely strangely. Uh, these sort of weird patterns are certainly the result of climate change. Now, how does this relate to things like the European crisis? Well, um, essentially, the world is going to change a lot, and certain parts of the world are going to become less and less habitable. We're talking about uh, lack of, uh, of of water, we're talking about uh, conditions that are going to be inhospitable, especially in the Middle East, and especially in sort of certain sort of undeveloped parts of the world. Naturally, people are going to want to escape that. In, they're going to want to escape those bad conditions. They're going to want to escape those areas if the conditions are inhospitable. And that um, you, that can be added to ongoing conflicts, you know, like military conflicts and the actions of groups like ISIS, for example. Uh, this means that many people from that part of the world will be seeking to escape and they'll be looking to Europe. They will be coming to Europe. Okay, that's just the way it is. And we need to find ways to accept that and to deal with it. All right. Now, isolationism is not necessarily the answer. For example, just pulling ourselves out of the European Union and attempting to lock our doors or at least close our eyes to what's going on and in inverted commas, take our country back. That's not necessarily a sustainable position. The wind is blowing in our direction, like it or not, and it's going to it's going to affect us. Okay, um, so I, I wanted to say a few words on immigration. Now, the, the thing about immigration is that this is a difficult subject to discuss. 
it's it's very hard to talk about. Uh, and and here are some of the problems with the with the subject of immigration. First of all, uh, people are not comfortable talking about immigration because they don't they either they don't want to seem to be racist. They don't want to be labelled as racist. And also, they don't want to accuse other people of racism. Okay, Now, it seems reductive, uh, rude, and even disrespectful to accuse people of racism straight away if they start arguing against immigration. All right. Now, I would rather listen to their arguments in full before I decide if they're racist. Okay, I'm not just going to say, you're racist. I'm not just going to point the finger at someone uh, and, and shout racism as soon as they start saying something slightly uncomfortable. Okay, and if if people do that, if it you know shouting racism at someone as soon as they start saying something slightly uncomfortable, that probably means that you're no longer prepared to listen to them. Okay, uh, so it doesn't help to label people as racist. You've got to be prepared to listen to the whole argument. Now, obviously, if those people start you know throwing in hate speech, then that's a different thing. But a a, a, a well argued, gen, genuinely well argued position on immigration is an argument worth listening to. And I, I am prepared to listen to anti-immigration arguments. In fact, I'm constantly looking for articulate statements against immigration, which are not just based on prejudice and which don't just contain sort of knee-jerk, uh, hate-filled reactions. Honestly, I don't find many of those things. Um, but in my search for coherent arguments against immigration, I have found sort of several main arguments, all right? There's there's the economic argument and then there's the cultural argument. So the economic argument against immigration seems to be that immigrants steal jobs from locals. They cause wages to be reduced, so they keep the wages down, which basically means that low-class people are paid less money, and that immigrants are a drain on resources because they come uh, into the country to take advantage of our benefits system and our health service. And so the benefits system has to try and, you know, uh, the benefits system spends money. The National Health Service has to spend money uh, on, on, on helping these people. There's also even a rather uh, strong sentiment from some people that immigrants are criminals rapists and terrorists intent on completely obliterating our way of life okay now that's obviously an extreme position but there you go either they're stealing our jobs they're reducing wages they're a drain on our resources or they are somehow going to obliterate our way of life and at the extreme end they are in fact criminals terrorists and and rapists now that's quite a broad spectrum there's also quite a lot of confusion and contradiction in there. Now, I one thing I think is true is that wages have gone down for low-skilled work. Fair enough, that seems to be true. Wages do seem to be kept down because often immigrants are willing to... Certainly the low-skilled immigrants are willing to work for less money, so this affects the labour market. Wages go down for those types of jobs. I'm sure this makes a lot of people angry. A lot of those unskilled labourers who have to compete with immigrants who are prepared to, to work for less money, uh, those people are going to get very angry and they've targeted the EU as the sort of the cause of this. Now, ironically, a lot of legislation passed by the EU actually intends to protect the, the, the rights of workers for example, protecting minimum pay levels and other things. So, in fact, many of the, the work of the EU is, is there to actually look after the rights of the people who are so angry. But nevertheless, it seems they, they don't care about those, those arguments. What they want is a solution to immigration, right? So, 
Um, what's left? What's left is is another sentiment, which is they are coming here to steal our benefits. They're coming here to steal our jobs. So wait a minute. Are they lazy benefit scroungers or are they stealing your job? Um, comedian Doug Stanhope, who's an American comedian, has made a, a very funny response to this. He basically says, if these lazy benefit scroungers are a threat to your job, what does that say about you? Um, and I'm, I'll recommend that you check out um, uh, a video by Doug Stanhope uh, about this. In fact, why not? I'm going to play it to you. Goodness me, this is this is becoming a, a hugely long episode of the podcast again. Um, it really is. I hope I'm not destroying my uh, my my audience by doing this. I really hope so. Um, what do you think, listeners? What do you think about the length of these episodes recently? I just can't seem to keep it keep it down. I just got too. I've got too many things to say. Um, let's see. Um, Doug Stanhope, immigration. Okay, so what I'm going to play to you is this. This guy is an American comedian. He's quite outspoken. He's known for having quite sort of radically, uh, fairly extreme views. He's the sort of person who, 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 who just tries to tell the absolute truth about things. He really doesn't care of what other people think. Um, and instead, he tries to say it like it really is. And in this video, he's talking about British people's responses to uh, what they perceive as uh, dangerous levels of immigration. And he targets those people who argue, on one hand, that um, immigration... that He targets people who, who complain that, on one hand, immigrants are lazy and, they're st- and uh, they are taking our benefits... And yet, on the other hand, they say that they're stealing our jobs. So if they're lazy and feckless criminals, uh, how can they be lazy, feckless benefit scroungers if they're also stealing our jobs? What does that say about you and your job if these low-level scum, as you describe it, are the ones who are a threat to your job? I mean, you know, he's basically making fun of of, of sort of uh, the, the kinds of people who can, who make these complaints. Uh, I'll let you listen to him. You're going to hear some bits of him speaking to camera and then some um, uh, some content from a stand-up performance that he did. This is about three minutes long. Still, who cares what I think about immigration? Let's ask a foreigner, specifically US comedian and shambles, Doug Stanhope. So, by the way, that, that's, that was the voice of Charlie Brooker. Uh, and this is from one of his programs called Weekly Wipe, which was uh, originally broadcast on Channel 4. This video is on, on YouTube. His view. I'm- Immigration again? Really? Who is it this time? Oh, the Bulgarians are coming. The Bulgarians are coming. Bar the door and lock up the wives and hide the children and put your pants on backwards so they don't get their mitts in your zipper. You know what? Honestly, I was surprised to find out the UK even had immigration law of any kind. As shitty and miserable and dire an existence as you live, you'd think you'd welcome anyone willing to live there with open arms and ask them stories about the outside world. All the stereotypes you hear about immigration are always, oh, they're lazy, and they steal, and they don't speak the language. And then they turn around and go, and they're stealing our jobs. Hey, Kevin, we'd like to keep you on. Uh, you've been great, uh, but we, we just found a uh, slovenly illiterate thief. 
and we think he might do a little bit better than you. So you gotta go. Besides, I thought the Polish people already stole all your jobs. So maybe the Bulgarians are just gonna come in and steal Polish jobs so you can relax. In the States, when we say immigrant, it's just another word for Mexican. We live on the border in Bisbee. We see the fucking border patrol hustling all these guys up, 11 at a time, coming out of a Ford Tempo like a fucking clown car. After wandering the desert for six days and they just get over and they're dehydrated and filthy. And yeah, you're probably right. They don't speak the language and they probably have minimal education. And if that guy can show up like that as qualified for your job as you are, you're a fucking loser of such dynamic proportions. I would be ashamed and humiliated if anyone found out that guy just took my job. How simple and menial a job do you have where they can do the job training in pantomime? Hey, come here, come Crank, 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 crank. Oh, see, crank, 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 crank. Yeah, you got it. Can you go? Oh, no, no, no. Yes, you're hired. You never hear people with legitimate skill sets complaining about immigrants taking their jobs. You don't hear brain surgeons sitting around the Beverly Hills Hotel Lounge going, You know what chaps my ass, Patrick? These fucking Guatemalans come up here, don't speak the language, they steal all of our neurosurgery positions. Let's go thunder down some Jack Daniels and put on our steel toe boots and go out tonight stomping guats. What do you say? And the Romanians. See, I don't even think that one's a real country. That's like from a fable or something. All right, there you go. So that was uh, Doug Stanhope. The video you will find on the on the page for this episode. Bloody hell, this is like the longest episode ever, for goodness sake. Oh, my God. Um... What shall I do? Uh, you know, In the wake of recent massacres, oh, oh, America oh, 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 has been oh. asking itself searching questions about its apparent addiction to guns. There are- Thank you, Charlie. That was Charlie Brooker there, who's about to tell us about gun control in America. I recommend that you watch Charlie Brooker's uh, programs. Charlie Brooker, C H A R spelling C H A R L I E B R O O K E R. Charlie Brooker. Uh, the show was called Weekly Wipe. Um, and he's 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 great. He's really good. There are lots of other videos uh, from Charlie Brooker uh, that you can find. He also was the guy who wrote uh, a, a TV series, or a great British TV series called Black Mirror, which was like this really twisted um, science fiction sort of... Uh, not really science fiction, exactly. It's just like a, a, a series, a mini-series of um, interesting allegorical, vaguely sci-fi-related uh, British uh, dramas. Um, written by him. He's, he's brilliant. Um, so anyway, right, what I, sh- I was talking about the length of these episodes. What I should do is stop kind of going, oh my God, my episodes are so long. I should just be like, yeah, damn right, my episodes are long. What are you going to do about it? That's, that probably should be my, my uh, attitude. It's like, yeah, my episodes are long. What are you going to do? Huh? My episodes are long. You come here, you want to you learn English from me. You're going to learn my way, okay? It's, the, my, it's my way or the highway. Right, so... Um, 
the other economic point to be made is that it's been proven that immigration has helped our economy and that they contribute more than they take away. That seems to have been proven. They contribute by paying tax, first of all. They also contribute by providing skills. Most immigrants from the EU in employment are doing skilled jobs, except those from certain places like, I believe, Romania and Bulgaria are named as, as these places, who are doing lower skilled work. But that's also quite vital for certain types of industry which rely on un skilled workers. All right. So there's actually an economic benefit to immigration. By the way, um, what was I going to say? By the way, I was going to mention employment levels, employment levels. I'm just opening the window because uh, I need air. Air is important. Uh, Everybody needs it. Now, by the way, over the last year, the UK has enjoyed record levels of employment. Generally, the job market's been very healthy. In February this year, Uh, the UK had the third lowest level of unemployment in the EU. We had 5% unemployment, which is really low. Germany had 4.3% and the Czech Republic had 4.5%. The highest level of unemployment in the EU was Greece with a shocking 24%. That's like pretty much one in four people is unemployed in Greece. Wow. And then uh, in second place was Spain with 20%. Uh, which is also shocking, Uh, one in five people unemployed. So back to the UK, the vast majority of people in the UK were in unemployment. The vast majority of people in the UK were in employment before the referendum and our job market was pretty good, although wages for unskilled work were admittedly were held down by the competition from migrants in the labour market. Um, So Uh, how much of an argument was there about the whole they're stealing our jobs kind of thing? The other main argument against immigration is the cultural one. Okay, now this is about protecting the way of life in the UK in the face of many other people coming in. And this is where it starts to get a bit tricky. This is where it starts to get a little bit dangerous. And this is where it starts to get uncomfortable because people start pointing the finger, accusing each other of being racist. Everyone gets uptight and it's horrible, okay? Because no one wants to be racist. No one wants to accuse other people of being racist. Now, let's be honest. This is a religious argument, isn't it, really? Or really, it's an anti-theist position. Um, Or or more specifically, it's an anti-Islam argument, Now, it's difficult to have a frank and honest conversation about immigration and about people's fears of the of what they call the Islamification of the UK, because, first of all, it's wrong to generalize about Muslims when most of them are moderate and just want an opportunity to live in peace. And I'm well aware of the arguments against religion and against Islam. Okay, I'm fully aware of all of the arguments that have been made against organized religion, especially Islam. Okay, and I'm not I'm not having a go at Islam here. I'm just talking about the debate. I often have seen debates on the subject of religion, for example, debates about whether or not religion is a force for good in the world. And I've read work by well-known writers and anti-theists, people like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, these these uh, erudite and articulate people who've made very convincing arguments against organized religion. I know about the arguments and I, I find them fascinating. Okay, the point is, A lot of people don't want hundreds of thousands of people to come into the UK and bring with them a belief system that they feel will be bad for our culture. 
Okay, now I can understand that. However, I think it's not quite as bad as it seems. And that there is a certain amount of fear and bigotry involved as well, which distorts reality. There's also a fear of the unknown, which causes people to jump to conclusions and fill the gaps in their knowledge which ima- with imagined worst-case scenarios. This is a normal part of human thinking, I think. And you see it in other areas. For example, you know, those moments where you hear a noise in the middle of the night, in the darkness, you hear a noise and your imagination runs wild and, you know, you start to imagine that there's like a burglar or a monster in your house. Another example would be someone sees something in the sky, they don't know what it is. They see something flying through the sky, they don't know what it is. It's a UFO, it's an unidentified flying object, they don't know what it is. Uh, And they're like, what's that? I don't know. Now, that's the point at which you stop. I don't know what it is. Stop. Okay. A lot of people don't stop. They then jump to a conclusion and they say, it's aliens. I don't know what it is. Therefore, it's aliens. Now, um, these are sorts of things that people do all the time. Uh, Fear of the unknown causes people to jump to slightly irrational conclusions. Now, we are told that millions of immigrants will come to the country uh, and they're going to bring with them a belief system that is at odds with the belief system that we have in the UK. And of course, people assume the worst. I can can kind of understand that. Um, Now, I'm... I'm, I'm not sure that leaving the European Union, though, is the response to that problem. Okay, I'm not sure that is, because as we've already established, it's not necessarily going to be the way that people can control uh, the influx of immigration. Um, also, this fear of immigration was not dealt with by the Remain campaign. The Leave campaign argued that leaving the EU would be the solution to all these concerns. But getting out of the EU isn't des- isn't necessarily the answer. It's not going to stop people, first of all. Uh, we can't just take back control of our borders. It sounds great, but in reality, it's not really possible while we exist in the modern world as we know it. We would, we would still have to accept free movement of people if we want to have trade deals with the rest of the world. And let's face it, we must re-establish a trade deal with Europe. Uh, there's no other way. There are immediate neighbours. They're the biggest market in the world. They represent half of our trade at, as it stands at the moment. Um, so coping with the effects of immigration will definitely be a challenge, but sticking our head in the sand and assuming that exiting the European Union will solve all those problems is foolish and, and dangerous, in my opinion. All right? Right, wow. So it's, it's all got a bit serious, hasn't it, on the podcast? Listen to this one hour and 55 minutes of me ranting about this stuff. I'm just getting it off my chest, okay? I'm just speaking my mind. Um, and I'm not going to be doing this all the time. All right. So now that I've got all that stuff out, let's talk about football. Let's talk about football, shall we? Oh, oh dear. So yeah, England just crashed out of the Euros. We lost 2-1 to Iceland. Well done, England. Well done. You did it again. Um, Yeah. So Roy Hodgson, the England manager, resigned just 20 minutes after the game. The only competition Roy is going to win this year is the when is the uh, who can resign the fastest competition. That's the only one that he's going to win this year because he, he managed to beat David Cameron by about two and a half hours. Ha, 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 joke. More of that kind of thing in a minute, uh, dear listeners. Um, also, 
Northern Ireland got knocked out by Wales. It's a pity to see them go, especially since it was um, an own goal that uh, that knocked them out. That's always a bit sad, isn't it? Um, so I'm I'm I've, I'm having a look at some of the newspaper headlines here about this from today. The Sun uh, has written um, Roy quits after pathetic failure. Um, Metro have written over and out. Hodgson quits as embarrassed England suffer humiliating defeat to minnows. Remember minnows? Those are those little fish. It's a word used to describe like small teams in a competition. Uh, The Sun headline uh, front page is Dumbs Gone to Iceland. Dumbs Gone to Iceland. And that's a joke on the TV commercial for a supermarket called Iceland in the UK. And the, the, the quote for the TV commercial is Mum's Gone to Iceland. In this, case, in this case, it's Dumbs Gone to Iceland. What? It doesn't even make sense. Dumbs meaning stupid people. Dumbs, like stupid, uh, our stupid England team, have gone because of Iceland. Dumbs Gone to Iceland. It's such a bad joke. Uh... The Times on their back page says Hodgson quits in disgrace. The Mirror Sports said Brexit Hodgson. Um, okay. Out thought, out fought, out of Europe, out of a job. Okay. The, the headlines are being pretty harsh, predictably. Um, so, um, so I think, first of all, what we need to do here is get all of the Brexit football jokes off my chest okay so the uk left the european union and now england have left the euro 2016 competition this is a great recipe for jokes and everyone's having a go now at the the brexit football jokes okay in fact um if if we just have a look at twitter today you'll find loads of jokes in fact i'm i'm now gonna um i'm now gonna uh read through a few of those uh uh, Twitter-based uh, uh, England football joke uh, things. Things. Yeah, things. When in doubt, ladies and gentlemen, just use the word thing. Okay? Um, right, so here are some tweets. This is from uh, a page on time.com, and it says, Iceland knocked England out of Euro 2016, and Twitter can't stop making Brexit, Brexit jokes. So here, here we go. Here are some... Here's a selection of jokes from this page, and it goes, England needs a new prime minister, a new opposition leader, and a new football coach. Jeez, talk about having a bad week. Hashtag Brexit. All right. Um, Only England could exit Europe twice in one week. Uh, 300,000 Icelanders voted for Brexit. (laughs) Brexit. There's been a petition. There's been like a a JPEG going round of like a, uh, a petition... Because you know there was a petition. There's a there's been a petition going around uh, for a, a, another referendum on Europe, arguing that um, the the original referendum isn't good enough, and that the 52 percent, 48 percent margin is not big enough, and the voter turnout was not large enough to justify uh, the the referendum result being binding. You know, so lo- there's been a petition going around. It's got about three and a half million signatures, arguing for another referendum. I don't know what's going to happen. I imagine the MPs are going to discuss that in Parliament. I doubt that it's it's going to have an effect. But someone has done a, a Photoshop version of the petition, and the petition here is that there should be a rematch for England versus Iceland. Um, what else? Uh, there's like a joke Boris bus, and uh, it's the England's the England team's um, bus 
their football bus where the you know, you know the bus the England team used to travel around and it's on the side of the bus it says England are worth 175 million pounds let's spend it on the NHS I actually quite like that one that's the New England bus um so here we go Brexit 2 hashtag Brexit 2 Brexit 2 I wasn't expecting a sequel so soon and the English haven't been this embarrassed since Friday hashtag Brexit 2 um uh the english seem to have perfected the art of exiting yeah so you know all the usual stuff uh uh <laughs> a big nation england trains for years to work towards the euros and gets knocked out by a country that has more volcanoes than players oh dear it's it's true well done iceland seriously well done iceland they, you know they, they did really really well um that's a great result for them because they're not a huge team. They don't have even a very big population, let alone many many professional footballers. Um, and, you know, the England team are just shameful. I think this is the first time that Iceland have got to this stage in a competition like this. So well done, Iceland. As for England, we were typically rubbish and I feel ready to disown the entire team at this point. I really don't get it. I don't know why they can't seem to win. I don't know why they just can't progress beyond the first couple of rounds in any international competition these days. They just consistently, time after time, disappoint everyone. Why? Now, maybe it's because they are overpaid, self-oriented, mercenary professionals who, in their heart of hearts, just don't care about the results. Maybe that's it. I just feel that they're sort of self-conscious. They don't really seem to be enjoying it. It should be a joy to play for your country, not some kind of onerous, pressure-filled challenge. The number of times the England players uh, fluffed their past... The, the number of times they fluffed their passes, they tripped up, they made stupid little errors uh, and generally fell apart. It all suggests that they're just sort of distracted. They seem unhappy or awkward or self-conscious and crippled by an overwhelming expectation, which is not in line with their actual ability to deliver. I think that we, we just need to stop watching them for a while. Maybe we can just like turn away. I'm not watching. I'm not watching. Just stop watching them for a while and then perhaps they'll they'll win something when we're not looking. Either that or we need to put out an amateur team with nothing to lose. Maybe we just need to go around all the amateur clubs and pick out a selection of, of players and just put out an amateur team. They're not even going to get paid for it. They've got nothing to lose. They're just doing it for the love of the game. They're just doing it for the joy of representing their country. Maybe that's what we should be doing because, frankly, I'm fed up with the professionals. I've seen it time and time again. It's just not improving. It's the same old shit, okay? Now, Wales are still in, which is good, and I hope that they do well um, and that they don't follow the the, the Brexit result and, and follow England and just leave too. Um in fact, I should give you a little roundup of the competition so far. We're now into two hours of this podcast. Two hours of podcast. Blimey. How many of you are still with me, ladies and gents? How many of you have listened all the way through to the end, I wonder? Um, now, let's see what's been going on. Um, I'm trying to use the app that I've got to check out the results so far. Uh, so we had France versus Ireland. France beat Ireland 2-1. Uh, quite a convincing result from, from France. Hung uh, uh, Germany beat Slovakia 3-0. Belgium smashed Hungary 4-0, uh, which was um, look really, really good result for Belgium. And I think there could be smart money on Belgium. Uh, 
I wouldn't be surprised because Belgium, I think, are going through in 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 a into a half of the competition that doesn't have many of the big teams. I think Belgium have got a good chance. Italy knocked out Spain. I'm sorry, Spain. It's it's been a bad time for you as well. I'm really sorry. Um, but Italy, well done, well done. You must be happy. Good result for you. Uh, you you played well. That that was a great game. I caught some of the game. It was dramatic and full of exciting chances. Um, Italy are through then. Iceland beat England. Uh, then we've got quarterfinals. Poland versus Portugal coming up uh, on Thursday. Friday, we've got Wales-Belgium. That's going to be a good one. Um, I hope that Wales get through, but I kind of fancy Belgium, I have to be honest. Germany-Italy, that's going to be a classic. Uh Italy is sort of like the weak point for the Germans. The Germans never managed to defeat Italy in big competitions, big international competitions like this. So that's going to be a great game. And it's always exciting to see these slightly different uh, styles, you know, the, the, the sort of more fluid uh, style of the Italians and the, the rigorous and uh, organised uh, team game of the Germans. That's going to be great. France versus Iceland. And um, I mean, you know, I, 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 I feel sort of certain level of support for for Iceland but I'm going to be backing France on that one um and so that's what we got to got to look forward to in terms of the football um so also well done for Chile well done to Chile out there in South America for winning the Copa America uh that's like the sort of the American version of the Euros which has been going on in parallel to the Euros there they beat Argentina on penalties in the final and Lionel Messi had a nightmare he experienced the the hell of missing a penalty and promptly uh, resigned from international football just uh what was it yesterday the day before and that's a that's a big pity because Messi is a seriously exciting player and he will be missed uh, so commiserations to Argentina uh, uh, for experiencing penalty hell but congratulations to Chile well done um, now, all right, that's pretty much it for this episode. There's been a lot of politics and drama recently. Obviously, I'm I'm really pissed off with the referendum result and the state of the UK at the moment, and obviously our football team. But let's try and look on the bright side. Let's see how the UK pulls itself together. Maybe this referendum result will shake things up in politics and we'll somehow move on to something more representative in the future. Hopefully, this will be good for people. And that's that's not just another part of... Hopefully this is not just another part of the judo-style stranglehold that the elite 1% have got on global affairs today. I hope that this somehow comes out in a good way for ordinary people. Um, I hope things will not turn out too badly. And hope is important, isn't it? Like uh, like Tolkien said in in one of the Tol- in the one of the Lord of the Rings stories. In fact, it was Sam Gamgee who says, "Where there's life, there's hope." He said, as long as we're still breathing, there's always hope that things will get better. Don't despair because things aren't going right for you now. Uh, there's always tomorrow. And those are quotes from from the character called Samwise Gamgee, who I previously made fun of slightly in episode 359. Actually, I find Sam Gamgee to be one of the most heroic characters in the Lord of the Rings story. So that's a nice little message of hope there. So let's muster some of the plucky courage of the hobbits in the Fellowship of the Ring now. And let's see what Britain can do. And let's hope for the best. Okay, so this is the end of this episode now. And when you next hear my voice, I will probably be telling uh, you the story of an incredible boxing match. Um, 
uh, featuring uh, Muhammad Ali. And that, that's, a, that's a story that I really enjoyed telling. So um, I hope that you enjoy listening to that. So I, I expect that I will come back to the subject of politics, though, uh, because this story is, is not going to go away. And it would be good to talk to other people about this. I think that would probably be the next step. Uh, if I could just talk to some other people and just have like a, a discussion rather than like a, a two hour rant about it. So I should talk to someone else, like maybe my dad, if he feels up for it. I mean, uh, he might just be be uh, so annoyed about it that he won't want to talk. But I don't know. I'll ask him. Uh, but also, I could speak to Amber and Paul about this because that would be a lot of fun, I think. Um, so thank you very much for listening to this very long, very drawn out episode of the podcast. What am I going to do? Am I going to divide this into two episodes? I think I probably should. I think that's probably what I should do. All right, so that's going to be a lot more work for me. I'm going to have to cut this up and edit and add little comments and things. God, there's just so much to say, so many things to say and so little time. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, Leave your comments on the website as per usual and uh, I'll speak to you again in the future. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Ladies and gentlemen... This is a journey into the English language. A journey into the DNA of the English language. Really? The DNA of the English language. Now that's a really quite a strong claim. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Who are you? You talking to me? You talking to me? You know who I'm talking to. I'm a school teacher. I teach English composition. Oh really? Yes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.